Avengers! Assemble! In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator, and... I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm John Sherburn. And Eddie Wilson is on assignment inside of a random shield helicarrier. Before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode, we are going to be telling you all how you can get a hold of us on them, thar social medias. How, Eddie would say if he was here. How? Well, first off, go on Facebook. <laughs> first off, go on Facebook at facebook.com slash the marvelous. Oh, I'm saying it. That too. You're finishing my sandwiches for me, yeah. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I really did not think I'd make a Frozen reference today <laughs> as we talk about this, but it is available on Disney+, Plus, mm-hmm. much like the topic at hand will be. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Marvelists. You can find us on a wide variety of streaming platforms, including TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spotify, you name it, we're there. You can also rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Well, not really share it, but you get my point iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. There we go. Five star if you're ever so inclined. Beaten dead horse, ice cream machine, McDonald's. You can also support this here fine program on Patreon at patreon.com slash themarvelists. And for as little as $3 a month to as high as $8 a month, you can help support this show and get some goodies along the way. For $3 a month, you can get our undying gratitude and a newsletter that may eventually come to pass once again but again undying gratitude we love you we really love you we love you i like that shirt you're wearing it's a great shirt they're wearing right pretty you're so pretty (laughs) can you believe that we have so many listeners in a nudist colony it's Mm -hmm. amazing Mm -hmm. you can also support this show for five dollars a month where when you do that you get access to the fantastic voyage and i'd be remiss to also say by the way three dollars a month gets you early access to episodes as well so you get early access to episodes including this one a day before it's supposed to launch as well as for five dollars you get the fantastic voyage where myself eddie and john all talk about the 102 plus annuals plus whatever we got up our sleeves of the fantastic four by stan lee and jack kirby for our February episode, we're going to be covering Fantastic Four number six, I believe, correct? Mm, think so. And it's going to be with our special guest co-host, Marvel editor Tom Brevoort, a man of many hats, especially the one that he always wears that's pretty badass. It looks good on him. Also, in our February episode, we may very well have a special guest in regards to Marvel as well. No spoilers, but you're going to like this one. It's a previous guest from an interview from last year who might have a project in the works at Marvel Comics. So there. Exciting, exciting, exciting. $8 a month gets you the ability to pick a topic of your own choosing, and if we think you don't suck, we're going to bring you on board as a special guest co-host, much like common friend of the show, jacked up Jeremy Bagley. I don't know why I said common friend of the show. He's It's a friend of the show. I'm a jackass. He's a rare friend of the show. Ooh, I like that. He's like a shiny holographic Charizard. Mm -hmm. I had four of those in my life, and I cannot tell the story enough of how I got them, but we're a little pressed for time today, so I will not be telling that story. I'd be (laughs) remiss, though, if I did, but whatever. But I'll get a text from Jeremy, him yelling at me, saying, common friend, but I I am waiting for that text. That's going to be pretty great. Anyway, (laughs) so like I said, support the show, patreon.com slash themarvelists. So now, John... This week on the podcast, we are going to be talking about episodes one and two of, I was going to say Ultravision, what is wrong with me? Anyway, that protein bar really- That would be horrible. Oh my God. Imagine. Still a romance, they're kissing and stuff. WandaVision has debuted on Disney Plus, both the first two episodes, and a lot of people are going on about it. With what it could mean for the future. And Mm. we're going to go right off the bat. We're going to talk about episode number one. First off, I'm loving that the Marvel Studios logo goes black and white, utilizes a drop shadow on the lettering, and even degrades the sound quality. And I, if I suspected, 
Were they going for like a film grain stock like that? Yeah, I think they definitely were. Um, if you, even just like like the entire the thing I like is opposed at, except for the credits, everything else is totally on brand. Even the opening title sequence like that. Um, yeah, and I love that they were going for the like they were going for that vibe. I also like how little they're giving away from this show. Like most television shows, yeah. I've done a couple different shows where we analyze television, right? You can see yeah. the titles, sometimes even the description of the next episodes. You can see what the cast members are that haven't been introduced yet. And in this show, they're doing none of it. The title, Their episodes are titled Episode 1, Episode 2. If you go online, you cannot find what the third episode's titled. You cannot find a description of it, which is super rare. So I was very excited yeah. to see that. It made me very happy to know that I was, uh, you know, again, you can't really, you can't spoil it for yourself at all at all so i like that a lot and one of the things about this show is each episode is done in the style of a certain genre Mm -hmm. or certain show from its time period yeah time period from television and this one is the 1950s we're going for like honeymooners we're going for i love Love lucy Lucy, phil silver's show even just a lot of stuff like that era and you know growing up as a kid I used to watch a lot of reruns on, you know, Fox 5 when they would air I Love Lucy at noon during the week. That was, like, one of my uh, go-tos as a kid. So, like... Day home sick. <laughs> I, yeah. I, dude, there... That's why, like, you'll hear certain references on the show I'll make to things. I made a reference to the Dumont Network to Eddie the other day, and he looked at me, like, dead-eyed, like, I don't know at all what you're talking about. <laughs> the Dumont Network, by the way, was a television network in the 1950s, and... I was really dating myself, and I'm 32 years old, but I digress. And, you know, like I said, the utilization of these kind of shows like TV Land, Nick at Night, that was what I grew up on. So being able to see this style of show done in, well, this episode done in that style of show was really great to see. Yes. I'm excited similarly for like the 90s, 2000s episode. I think it's going to be really interesting. I like that you're going to, as the show moves forward you're gonna watch it change a lot like that's the one thing i'm excited for is we're guaranteed a lot of different stylistic motion and so i really think they're gonna take advantage of that and i really think that's gonna be one of the enticing like meta aspects of the show consistently is that's what the humor is the rest of it's so creepy and weird the humor stems from the fact that it's also full of references and full of stylistic decisions that are kind of mind-blowing you see it you're like oh i know what that's from i know what that television show is or whatever you know yeah absolutely and with this one it's of course the uh oh my god honey the boss is coming to dinner because we're talking <laughs> about august 23rd is the date there's a little heart on the calendar and they're trying to figure out what it is what what is the meaning behind it and that's it so no it's fu- i like the again i think like the the cliche reveals and uh, the you know idiocracy. The tropes. Yeah, the tropes. It's the you know the the characters are are the causing their own pitfalls and things like that. It's stuff that would in a normal show feel ham handed, right? And it would feel overdone. But in this show, given that we know that's what they're doing on purpose, they can get away with plot lines or ideas or, or whatever dialogue that otherwise would not be acceptable anymore. Um, just because it's it's funny. Um, because and we, in regards to. Yeah. Well, in regards to like, you know, the tropes and everything, one of the first things is the wacky next door neighbor of Agnes coming into the yes. door, you know, doing a grand introduction. Catherine Hahn, who hand to God did a phenomenal job on this series. Really so good. Far. Like yeah. just two episodes in and she is the MVP of it, you know. Yes. Very under like she's not underutilized, like she's there. And when she is, she eats up that scenery in the style of each era that she's representing. She feels and smarter than most of the other characters, too. Like, I feel like there's a level of um, not meta. knowingness, but yeah, it feels almost like she's in on it more so than the main characters are so far, which I think is really interesting. And also, seeing, I'm in agreement uh, with that. Yeah. Like, it, something feels not off, but just like. She knows, like, it, everyone else feels like they're a victim of this, and I don't get that vibe from her at all. I feel like she's well, let, either in on it or, at the very least, uh, happy to be there. <laughs> let's fast forward to episode two real quick, because you say that whole sense of meta, self-awareness, mm-hmm. breaking the fourth wall. When she remarks to to uh, Wanda as, you know, Wanda is looking at the, uh, in the rose bushes with the little helicopter, yes. which, by the way... That's got the sh- uh, the sword, sword logo on there, yes. so sword is involved with this series. Same with the first episode. Exactly, and 
she remarks to her, there's the star of our show. Mm-hmm. And, and is that is that a writer decision or is that her? Like, is it just I, a funny line? I think that's line, breaking the fourth or is wall. It, is it her character knowing that? And because the thing it's with breaking the fourth, the fourth wall. Well, the thing with the fourth wall is in this show, the fourth wall is more important because if Wanda is creating the this the sense of scene, that fourth wall is still in the show. You know what I'm saying? Her breaking the fourth wall could be a joke for the audience, but it could also be a part of the plot, right? A part of the fact that she might know right. what's going on. So I love that. Again, the meta part of this show is not meta outside of the show. The meta is in the show. When they make jokes about it, it's in universe because the show takes place in a in a show pretty much, you know? Um, We're watching a person watch this show who is watching them in a show. So yeah, we're watching weird. a show about a guy watching a show. <laughs> and the show is the product of somebody's show. Just, it's it's so insane. And that's again where this this might be and it's it's odd to say within like just two episodes already but this might be the start of something beyond incredible with what this is going to be. This might be Marvel's Watchmen. I'm so excited to... for it. I'm so excited. I, I, you know that I'm mixed bag on some of the Marvel content. I, I like the, the entirety of it. I like seeing superheroes represented on screen, but I, some of the movies feel lacking or reductive or like a basic action type thing to me. And so seeing stuff like this makes me very excited because what I've said is before, if Marvel doesn't start having some nuance and niche and genre bending, you're going to lose its appeal fast uh, because we've already been through one whole series. So the average consumer might stop being interested. So doing stuff like this is so important to me. And I really feel like, they're on the front end of, I've said this before and on other shows and stuff, that I think the future of entertainment is mixed media. And I really think that Disney's on the front end, Star Wars and Marvel, of trying to make universes outside of one medium. And I think you're going to continue to see more and more crossover now that everything's streaming. I really think it's important. So I, I love, I love, this show's one of my favorite Marvel things so far. We'll see how they go with it. But this idea, I love more than I expected. And the other thing about this as well is the, in regards to, we don't know what's going to happen, but a common complaint about the Marvel product of the MCU is cookie cutter. It can be very cookie yeah. cutter at times. Like, I love the Avengers movies, but to be honest, you see one, you know what's going to happen in the next one. That's why I do enjoy where certain movies will completely do a 180 on what the standard tropes of these movies are and you have like a guardians of the galaxy which is its own thing it's not going to be it's not your standard comic book movie you have uh winter soldier which winter soldier is just a political thriller you have it's weird you know stuff like that you have the ant-man movies which are borderline heist movies yes and they're their own different thing and even like, uh, what's it called? Uh, Thor Ragnarok. I was going to say, I was going to say Thor Ragnarok. Buddy Cop's very interesting. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. And with this, this is a dissection of uh -huh. television. Well, it's, it's weird seeing people like Vision, and I think Vision's the best example of it. I think it's weird seeing some of these actors in a comedy, right? Like, you've seen moments yeah. of comedy, but they're action movies, and you're seeing... I mean, I think I think Paul Bettany does a great job. Like, I really Paul think... Paul Bettany stole the show. Vision's well, character is, is, like, the good. best. He's It's so funny, because he, he clearly doesn't fit. And I think it, it's, it's good for a few reasons. Because, you know, if you are part of the... There is a theory that Wanda's maybe creating all of this... Her getting him not wrong, but he's him being out of place feels so right because he is a robot. He is the only thing that's that's not actually maybe a person in this, right? So if he, if if yeah. that's the case, it fits so well, and so much of his humor sticks because not only is he the sore thumb character that's sticking out, but he's also since he's a robot, right? actually sticking yeah. out of otherwise uh, a show that would never have robots in it so far. And so these episodes are so classic 50s, and then it's, there's a robot, and it sticks out so much, and it, it, it's it, so much humor can come from it. And another thing is how natural he is in regards to this performance of being in a, you know, a sitcom. And, like, 
Mm-hmm. In regards to this, I like how the performances of the actors go all in on the sitcom style that they perform to the audience. Like you'll see them motioning towards the yes. audience, doing like, the little like glances at set. an audience. Yes. And you know, like the biggest one is when in the first episode they are in the office. And before Mr. Hart shows up, they're talking to uh, the communist. And, you know, like the one part is like Vision gets up and he just starts doing something that I've seen on so many sitcoms throughout my life. Like, you know, How I Met Your Mother or like even Sanford and Son. Just, you know, two completely different shows, but they still have that sitcom live audience feel. You see him just turning and looking around at his surroundings like over exaggerated. And that was like one of the biggest things for me. And I'm also curious about this. Mm -hmm. The laugh track. Are they going to acknowledge it and break the fourth wall? Are they going to go scared if if the laugh track is people who are being forced to sit there and laugh? I would be that would be such a good creepy moment, but I would be scared if that happened. That's such a freaky concept to me. Um, And it depends, I think, on where they take the show. Like it depends on where they actually decide to go with it what is happening i think if it's you know if it's if it's fake simulation then i'm that would be cooler if it's wanda controlling it scarier because that's real people you know i'll go with something even worse yeah sure dead people because (laughs) one of the comments is you watch like i love lucy and you hear the laugh track Mm -hmm. that's an audience of dead people yeah no it's totally canned it's so like it's unnatural. That's why, like, I love when Mash came to DVD. I like Mash. I'm Mash apparently is good. a 65 year old man. No, yeah, Mash but is it's good. Like, I like Mash growing up. Well, one of the things about Mash is the laugh track, and it seems so unnatural for that kind of show. Yes. But luckily, you know, on the DVD releases, they've, rem- like, you have the option to change the commentary track to no uh, laugh track. That's cool. And it's a it's a great feature, but it's like, I feel a laugh track is a little unsettling with this, and it works yeah. so well. Well, for and that's that. I think we should start getting into some of the themes and theories and uh, Easter eggs. Yes, I, I think because there's so many. I mean, that's the one of the other things I'd say about the show is it is full. There is not. I was afraid it was going to be kind of empty, and it is so full of hints and things. And some people are even saying that it's done on purpose. Uh, I think a very interesting. I'm very torn. Is is someone doing this to her or is she doing this to other people and they're trying to stop it? And if it's the latter of right. those two things, it becomes creepier where it's when it's people like uh, when people are breaking the, the wall and they're saying like, who's doing this to you? That kind of thing. As opposed to it being someone creating it, it's people trying to help her, which is scarier to me where it's like, snap out of it, snap out of it. And she can't. And that is to me so freaky. And so I think it's really interesting how they use the Easter eggs as an actual plot point. Well, let's go with one of the uh, first things, the television commercials. And Ugh. Kevin Feige has gone on saying that these East, these television commercials play a major part, obviously, oh, of in course. the yeah. story. And, you know, there's two points I saw on Reddit. The toaster in the Stark commercial has the repulsor sound effect, like when they, you know, put the, t- uh, the toast in. And somebody Strucker. made a remark, the commercial, yeah, well, struck her for the watch, but going back over to the toaster oh, real quick. Oh, okay. Another thing for that. They might also be referencing how robots and cyborgs in science fiction are referred to as toasters. Huh, could be. Somebody pointed that out, and I'm like, yeah, that actually makes perfect sense. Why would you have a toaster in your cyborg show? Like, no other reason. It's that. But did you also, like, obviously, it's one of the little things, like, you, the one element of color. Red plays such a important part in the story, mm-hmm. in these first two episodes alone. And, you know, Red means... Uh, what's his name? Um, what's his name? Uh, American Beauty, you know? Oh, The color yeah. red Kevin over Spacey. and over and over. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> but. Well, red, I feel like the red usually comes up when she's losing it a little. So far. And that, that's going to, ch- I'm curious how now that there's color, if that's going to change. But so far, it's moments like with the helicopter, which there's a lot of theories about what that helicopter is. Was it a real helicopter that got turned into a toy? Is it like what's going on with the helicopter? When she bleeds is when she starts freaking out and the glass breaks and she's bleeding. So some of the or when she turns the whole place color, the first thing you see is Vision's head. And so it usually feels like when she loses control of her powers or when she's not when she's not at doing a good job of keeping up what's happening, you tend to see red is what I've noticed. 
Um, well, what about the on the toaster? The that, red on the that's toaster. That's the one the part that I haven't been able to figure it out. Um, or maybe it's she's creating the commercials in her head. And that red is something outside of her reality or something like that. That's, it seemed like a timer. It was going to explode, beeping faster and faster. And to me, that was that moment of like, this isn't just a toaster commercial. That wouldn't happen in a black and white toaster commercial. So to me, that was some more of that, like the real world bleeding through kind of thing. Now, what do the ducks mean that Tony Soprano was feeding in the very first episode (laughs) of The Sopranos? (laughs) I wrote a paper in college about that. We had send that as a that. topic, so send me that. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta find it, but I do have it somewhere. Oh, send me that. I love The Sopranos. Please do. But I digress. Anyway, what other Easter eggs have you noticed in this? Oh, there's a lot. Um, first off, the fact that Monica Rambeau is in the show is crazy. She was in- as Geraldine. Yeah, she. Well, she was in. Well, yeah, she. Well, no, 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 no. Uh, Tiana Paris. Not Geraldine? Tiana Paris plays the character Monica Rambeau, who was in Captain Marvel. Right. The the she's now older. Yeah, her, but her, yeah, she's an adult now. Um, and she's in and it, that which is, blows she, my mind. Which she, it just gives it dates this a little bit. It it adds like the character into the, as Paul saw, or maybe the next Captain Marvel into the universe. That was a really big moment that I thought was super cool. Um, now she is the one that you know she meets at the a little dinner party with Dottie, correct? Um, I think she's the woman who's doing the, uh, the talent show. Yeah. She's in the background of the talent show yeah, and, and that's, stuff like that. That's yeah, her. She meets her well, Dottie. Yeah. She meets her at Dottie's. Yeah, yeah. 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 And she goes on, but she says she's Geraldine. And I'm wondering if that's like a subtle nod to flip Wilson, the, uh, comedian of the 1960s, 70s who would, you know, he would dress in drag and perform as a character called Geraldine. But she's... I'm curious about this. In the cast, her name's Monica Rambeau, and when she says Geraldine, she looks at the camera for a second. Yes, she does. She she says, who is your name? And she goes, uh, Geraldine. And then, if you again, if you look at the cast list, there's no Geraldine. There's a Monica Rambeau who's played by Tayana Paris, who's the person that's the character. So that was a really... There's moments like that where... I didn't notice that with the uh, looking to the camera. Yeah, it was, well, she just paused at the very least. She didn't have her name ready. She paused. So what does that mean? Does it mean she's planted in this? Is she an agent, right? If you look at Captain Marvel movie, I could see her maybe taking the agent route. Um, I'm not convinced that this is something Scarlet Witch is doing herself. A part of me feels like this is, her powers being utilized by either sword or aim for a nefarious purpose. Or I've also thought about the fact that um, Vision works at this... It's brought up enough times where I know it's a plot point. He's brought up at this computing company and he keeps asking, what are we making? And they're like, we're just running data, which makes me feel like they're using this to I feel run like that some is sort something of data. Important. Like, I feel like they're using it to mine data or to like learn figures and facts. I feel like they're having him do that work and having, by extension, her do that work as a computer. I really feel like that's happening. And so that was my first hint and there's been a few others of it could be that she's not creating this but this is she's being used to create this for some reason i don't know what it is another thing in regards to the first episode though is the uh what i noticed was the change in types of camera angles and the performance of wanda as mr hart is choking oh my god it's an example of everything breaking the fourth wall Mm -hmm. yes thank you yes that was exactly what i was thinking of which i think so cool because the rest of it's a comedy which makes me think, and like, let's say we get to the 90s, is there going to be a cut where it becomes a thriller? It would make total sense with a plot arc of the 90s is going to be like in the second or third act. And so when they get to the 90s, I feel like the second half could turn into like that 90s over the top of thriller as they start to figure out that they're in a simulation. Like, I feel like they're going to utilize more than just comedy. For example, those Hitchcock shots. Right. Oh, so And cool. like, was, was it just me or was that scene... Like on your like I watched it twice, but like my first viewing of Vision Stop It, it feel it felt a lot longer. Scared the shit out of me, dude. I was enthralled. I was staring at my computer. It was Kitty too from that seventies show, he, which made it worse. Yes. But Kitty Foreman shows up. I, I, I was so uncomfortable during that scene because it was so scary. Like it was just so like no with, one's helping with her. Him. No I think it's because no one can. Wanda has yeah. to tell them to, right? And for some reason, no one's stop, no one's helping. And I think it's because they're waiting for her to make a decision. Will he die or will he live? It's your world. Oh, yeah. Damn. 
And so cool. I, I just have to go back over to Kitty. Yeah. Good again. I realize that's not her name. That's the actress's name. That's jo- like you know Joanna uh, Dean or something. I, I can't think of what her name is. Um, she was phenomenal. And let me say this: that woman does not know how to age because Deborah she still jo looks Rupp. just like she does. Yeah, Deborah Joe yes, Rupp, she's... and she does. She looks maybe maybe a year older. <laughs> she definitely has like it's well. insane. Like watching that, I'm just like. When she showed up, I had no idea, and I'm just like, "Same." Is is Red gonna show up and call Vision a dumbass? I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm that that moment. I'll I was stick enthralled. my boot up like, your shiny metal ass. It was Classic. so great. Yeah, it is. Crazy. And you know, let's go over into episode two, and I would say that episode itself was a love letter to you know the Munsters, Adams family, and Bewitched, yes. especially Bewitched, uh, the Munsters. In the I beginning. think Bewitched too by uh, parts of the Bewitched. Oh yeah, obviously of course. the intro credits and. Uh, toward the end felt very bewitched esque and obviously the magic aspect. I would go for me at least like sure. Vision's character is Herman Munster in episode <laughs> yeah. two. No, like, I can completely see it. Be- yes. The biggest one for me was when they have like he-, he turns the light on, sees the uh, tree, turns around and then he screams. That is a Herman Munster moment if I've ever seen one. It is. And I like I'm. I'm curious of how they're going to utilize so many other types of television shows like so in the excited. future. Like 1990s will be a fun one to see because will they do a Seinfeld type? Oh my God. I hope if there's not a bass riff in, in the intro sequence to the 90s I, one, I'm going to be mad or a full house like the external shot. That would be perfect, obviously, for a few reasons. Uh, there's a lot they could do. But a Seinfeld one, a Seinfeld one be would awesome. be so great. That'd and that's be awesome. Like, like I said, you know, in regards, I we ran a poll on our Twitter, and episode two got a resounding positive feedback. Yes, personally, I liked episode one a lot more, but I like two more, so that's interesting. I think it's more because, like, again, you know, I was raised more on the yes. '50s sitcoms, so you can look back a lot at of that. It, yeah, but in regards to you know, we got we got to talk about the ending of this episode at least. Like we that do, is one of yeah. the biggest things. And then I want to get into some of our like uh, our personal theories of things we noticed. Um, but yes, I agree. Well, let's well yeah, and then let's go later on talk about the ending. But like I do love how this you have the uh, opening theme music of this episode being again bewitch style. Yes, and they incorporate a lot of animation in this. Like, you know, when we see the inner workings of Vision, you know, with the cogs and everything, I would say that's also partially a reference to the Flintstones. Like, you have the utilization (laughs) of animation. Like, this is, it's not entirely, I'm surprised they didn't do a whole segment other than the opening theme song of animation. They could have done that. I I think they wanted to maybe not, uh, I I do get it. I think it might have taken away from some of the tension. I believe this show's whole point is throughout the show will continue to rise tension more and more and more and more. And so I do think having a two or three minute scene where everyone's cartoon might take some of that out. Um, So I think they did a good job of hinting at it, putting it in there, but not taking away from the plot. So, Well, uh, on the topic of cartoons then, do you think if we get to a 90s episode, they'll feature a reference like to the Simpsons potentially if I could see that being the intro potentially though, if the one thing I'll say is potentially you could see if they take the route of getting more serious with time, I could actually see them having less humor the farther you go. But if they keep with the comedic elements throughout, I could see them having the Simpsons intro for sure in the style with the characters involved. Um, I'd actually like that. So you're, so you're saying as it as it keeps going on and on, it's going to be less and less funny. So you mean the show Friends? Yes, just like so Friends. You mean the show Friends? Just like Friends. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> what an awful, awful show. Um, but gentrification, the sitcom. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> in regards to yeah, with this episode though, episode two, I would say it's very much the previous one was. What's going to happen with this wacky situation with yeah. a misunderstanding of my boss? The boss is coming to dinner. This one is we have the characters and they're trying to interact with the rest of the world and everyone knows something is off with them, but they aren't quite sure. But yes. they like the way Wanda wins over Dottie at the end. Like she does a complete 180 and it seems so unnatural. It does. Like when we have her, you know, talking to her while she's, you know, cleaning up the uh, little, the meeting and 
I know what you are. I've heard things about you. I feel like Dottie's the radio important. Goes off. I think she's important. I do too. I think she is Abigail Brand, director of S.W.O.R.D. They talk too much about how she's interesting. They say she's so important. She knows so much about committees. If you get, if you do good with her, you're set. Which makes me feel like if this is a sword sanctioned thing, she'd be involved. Like I just feel like Dottie has. There's this air of she's more than just a person there. She. They talk for literally seven or eight lines of dialogue specifically mention that she runs the show. She runs the place. She's the committee leader. She is the person that will give you anything you want if you get on your good side. I could so see her being a director of some kind outside of it. I could see her being the director of S.W.O.R.D. And in regards to the character, she has green hair. And mm-hmm. this episode is in black and white, so we really don't see that. I was thinking so about when- that visually. I could see them maybe... They could, I'll see them maybe not having her have green hair in... The MCU, personally, I could also see that being the case. Giving a, uh, they could say something along the lines of having a director have green hair might be something that most audiences don't understand, as in the real world and business and things like that. That's not doesn't really fly. So I could see them taming right. the character a bit. Uh, but she has that air of like again, same with uh, the neighbor, where it's like she feels like she's elevated past being a part of it as one of the victims. She feels like she has something greater, and it's also. Emma Caulfield of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in 90210, which blew my mind. I did not realize that. Yeah, uh, it's which is a, it, it, I think it's absolutely crazy. She, Emma Caulfield Ford, I guess she's married since, um, but she was uh, in a bunch of different things. But the biggest two were Buffy and 90210, which if you've seen them, she's Anya. Gotcha. But, yeah, crazy. Um, and it's I, I just still can't get over the realization of. That might be the director of Sword. I, maybe and not. That's my two cents. <laughs> but it makes it makes perfect sense, wouldn't though. it? Like you have that character in with that style of commanding, you know, yeah. attitude, and like when you're in a big meeting like that, and people are talking to the side, "Hey, could you shut up?" Like it's that going on. Yes, that's. Yeah. And that's my theory. As of this morning, no one else had said that on Reddit. So I'm claiming that as my theory. If anyone here hears it anywhere else, I hadn't heard of it as of this morning. So I'm claiming it as mine. Yeah. Um, And it's. We'll see. But, you know, that kind of blew my mind just now. Like, (laughs) and there's uh, with. Let me check my notes. What else I There's got? There's so much. The beekeeper um, is big. Okay, is so the beekeeper let's talk sword about the or beekeeper. Aim? Is it a sword guy who's in a radiation suit what? trying to not get taken over? Or is it an aim so, guy dressed naturally? Could you make out what was on his back? It looked like a sword logo. Interesting. Because That's I the weird was speculating. Part. Yeah, I'm speculating though maybe. Because in the comics... So, uh, AIM members, yes. advanced idea mechanics, are always referred to as beekeepers. And like they the look little, just, you know, yeah, uh, they look in the yellow suits or whatever. So, why would you have a beekeeper? And I, and a Strucker commercial. I'm going to make a remark about this. Sure. This show is the Marvel equivalent of Twin Peaks. <laughs> okay. Am I wrong? No, it's it's that like uncanny. I mean, honestly, so far there are some very David Lynchian aspects to the show, so that's why I yes. agree. It it feels very un- unsettling in a way. It's unsettled. Well, because you know you have a woman falling in love with a robot, and <laughs> you know there's there's just something about it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I could see this the, being an aim assignment where aim has taken her and. Uh, you have the beekeepers, you have the Strucker drop, and there's that line, Strucker has, will make time for you, that really sat with me weird. That was a line that I've thought about all day, of what is, like, that seems so purposeful, Strucker will make time for you. Well, what does that mean? And the, uh, that I'm not sure about, you know? but, yeah, and, again, Strucker, if I remember correctly, he was the one that was responsible for the, uh, for the experiments that caused uh, Wanda and Quicksilver, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's the case. Mm-hmm. Someone and was saying equally too that uh, again, these all might be false flags. Of it makes it it makes it seem like there's might someone, be false flags. <laughs> it makes it feel like there's people that might be doing this to her. 
But at the same time, someone else has a theory that this is all in her head. No one else is involved. But the reason that these things are happening is it's her being fed or given or reminding herself of memories. So Strucker watches might be her trying to remind herself of her past. Or, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> so that's the other option. If, if no one's doing it to her, it could be that. I don't know which one I like more. I don't know which one I believe more. As of right now, I'm leaning towards someone has her because of the she's being yeah. monitored by S.W.O.R.D. But it could just be that S.W.O.R.D. is monitoring this hero who's gone berserk and she's trapped in a cell where she can't alter reality and maybe she gets out of it. Those are kind of the options to me. Catch her in bed with a yeah. synthetic man. <laughs> <laughs> but... um. I would say, like, I'm wondering when this takes place. And, I mean, you know, with Monica Rambeau's an adult, so it, it would be in the modern day, I think, because Monica yeah. well, Rambeau no, I'm saying is, in the sen- you know, is an adult. Well, I'm saying in regards to maybe this was taking place during Civil War when, you know, right at the end when they get captured. But did she, did they get, ca- they did get captured. I think, I'm trying to, th- I mean, it could be, I mean, people thought this yes. would be in the Soul Stone, but I feel like it's probably not. Um I so, think this again, is post. I don't think they want to go back in time. They have one movie that's doing that with Black Widow. I think they're trying to right. build up in the future. So in my opinion, this takes place after they all come back. She's returned to existence, but her love is dead. And so she snaps and goes off for some, whether someone did this to her or she did it to herself. She is now in post end game in this reality in her head. And um, one of the, one of the things about sitcoms is the utilization of catchphrases. Mm-hmm. And during my initial viewing of these, I was like, wait a minute, they don't have a catchphrase for any of these characters. Sitcoms are known for catchphrases. Sure. You know, you ha- you have, you know, the unintelligible grunting of Tim Allen <laughs> on Home Improvement. You have uh, Did I Do That from uh, Urkel from uh, Family Matters. And it dawned on me, yeah, there is a catchphrase and it's been uttered twice in each episode. Okay. I don't eat food. Weird. Yeah, it's I such remember a bizarre, it. I, I remember it. It comes up in each episode. Yeah, that's weird. I don't eat food is the show's sitcom catchphrase. <laughs> that's technically it is. Like, you know how, like, on How I Met Your Mother is, yeah. have you met? Like, that. Hey. this is what this is, and it's yes. so weird, but it's, I don't eat food. I don't eat food is a catchphrase, and... It's so odd. And the other let's let's go into also other theories. So like you've been looking up some I've I actually found one that kinda interested me because it's a play on words. Okay. What town are they located in? Westview. Which I was trying to figure well, out. Westview might be Wanda's view of the West as she lived in Sokovia. Weird, yeah. Because you yeah. have you know, Europeans they'll like see on television. Yeah, through television only. Just yeah, wow, that's a good point. And when I saw Westview, I'm like, that's that's their that's view of the West. That's super smart. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I have um that's crazy. I have one that was kind of weird. It's a little bit nutty, but I could see it happening. They so this is episode two, the plain storyline. In the beginning, they hear something outside making loud noises they decide it's a tree someone had made the idea that maybe it was the sound of the helicopter trying to break in if this is taking place not in her head but she actually took a town and put it in a zone and you could see potentially this being what happens the plane comes in it's doing the chopper noises outside the window she says right. i'm going to see it or i'm going to you know whatever And then it stops. And in that moment, it's turned into a toy and it drops into the bush. And on the side of the plane, it says something like damage, help or something like that. That was something that was on the plane. Someone else had said that potentially the people that were in the second episode sitting in the neighborhood watch building were the people in that helicopter that had not been killed, but instead turned into uh people in the town of some kind. Yeah, ancillary sitcom characters. Yeah, which would be really interesting. And then what would leave me to believe then that that meant, like, everyone outside learned that if you just walk in there, you're gonna, you're gonna get, you know, become a part of the fabric of the universe, and so we can't do that anymore. 
And so at the end, it's not a beekeeper suit. The, the bees I can't explain, but it's someone going in there in a suit that like blocks out her reality bending abilities so they can infiltrate and see what's going on. That is one I, like line breakdown that I don't know if I believe, but it was very interesting theory. What I want to know is why the helicopter was red and gold. And it got me thinking, okay. like, you know, while you were, you know, mentioning mm-hmm. about it. I think the red and gold is representing Iron Man. Could and be. Iron yeah. Man is long gone. Sure. But his but stuff like, there. <laughs> her logic to her, though, is they'll save us. And yes. Tony is a representation of he Saving. will save us. Yes. They will save us. So. Interesting. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to work with, and it's one of those things that we you feel like you already have so much of the answer here, as in when the show ends, you can go back to these first episodes and you can almost see what's happening. We don't know it yet. Yeah. There's another theory we haven't mentioned at all that has been one of the theories since before the show was even close to coming out, that the fandom is kind of split in half or into thirds, one thinking it's just in her head, one thinking it's being done to her, and the third saying that there's someone pulling the strings, and that person is Mephisto. And I don't know your view on it. I'm curious if you believe it, if you think it's bullshit, if you... There were some lines about, you know, the devil's the devils or whatever around, and she says it's not the only place he is. There's stuff like... There's a couple yeah. very weird, very weird uh, demonic, quote-unquote, references, and people have talked about Mephisto being behind it, and that's why the... She, I think Wanda's going to be in Multiverse of Madness, so some people have drawn that line. And I'm curious huh. how you feel about that. Well, that just blew my mind. That actually makes perfect sense because it, Mephisto, I believe, is a part of the, uh, I think, the 12-issue miniseries, too, or the 4 or 12-issue, one of them. Sure. Yeah, that's another option. That makes, and I think parts of that it makes have perfect credence. Sense. I think what they did on purpose was make it so that all of those theories could be what's happening. And so maybe Mephisto put her under and broke her head. And so she created this and... Uh, made a town her own and has forcing them to go along with it. And sword is trying to stop it. And they're at the very least monitoring the situation. And also, you know, aim is trying to, in the middle of the night when everyone's half paying attention, backdoor their way into it to maybe get a hold of it as well. You know, they made it so that all those things could be happening. And it's just an answer of which ones, which one's not the red herring or are they all a part of, you know, something bigger red herring. I'll go with one. Irony is not lost on me. Well, in regards to Mephisto, sure. maybe she sold her soul. Like they're utilizing the one nice. moment in time storyline of Spider-Man. Nice. And, you know, this is how it happens. But here's the thing. Vision is a robot. You can yes. put a new pack of batteries inside of that bad boy and, you know, he's good to go. So but who knows? The question with Vision is, is the Vision that they can bring back the one that still loves Wanda? How much of that's outside? Because Vision's big thing is he's not a human, but he's also kind of a human. And so they might have been able to bring Vision back and he didn't remember her and didn't care and didn't want to. And that might have been the thing that pushed her over the edge. Um, also, the utilization of the Soul Stone. Like, yeah. that's what made him what he was. Yes. So, so if, they, if the Soul Stone's gone and they can't, they've returned it all, then that's it. Um, I think another, my craziest, not theory, but concept is that the end of the show is not going to showcase what's happening on the outside. My thought is why is sword involved? Sword is extraterrestrial stuff. Sword is like big stuff, end game stuff, if you will. And so why would sword be involved? What might be happening is that this show takes place in the future from the movies we're going to see. And so we're going to see some of the movies coming out this year aren't going to address this. And what I feel like you might see is the reason Sword's involved is because it's too late. She already changed reality. Say she brought in the X-Men as more mutants, or she brought in the Fantastic Four, and you're not going to get that answer at the end of this show. But four movies down the line, we're going to find out maybe that this is taking place in the future, and she's already done the reality changing. And so she's maybe changed reality, and then they put her into stasis to try to keep her from changing anything else or to try to change it back. And this is all them trying to figure that out. That's something I've been toying with as well. I can see that. We'll see, man. There's so much. It's so dense. I was nervous to even do this episode. It is so dense. Is it, it's not a chore, but it's very much a daunting kind of thing. Oh, it's just like shit. What, what means what? There's some Randall Park is in the Jimmy Woo. Agent Jimmy Woo was the guy in the radio. 
Like there's just so much random. That was him. Yeah, he's in the. He's one of and the. He's only a shield agent. And he's one of the only people listed in the cast. He's in the cast, Randall Park. So there's just a bunch of that stuff. And he says, who's doing this to you? So that would lead you to believe that maybe Mephisto's involved. And, and that's happening two minutes after they make the devil reference. So there's... I'm, I'm just shocked. I'm just so shocked that Asian Jim Halpert's in here. Yeah, yeah Jim Halpert is in there. Um, oh. But we've, we've got a lot coming up. And we hope you'll stay along for the ride Please as do. we talk more about WandaVision next week. Episode number three. It's going to be just number three, correct? Yeah, they do. A lot of shows are doing this right now. They'll release more than one thing to get you kind of into it. And then, because a yeah, lot like of times pilot, did yeah, that. pilots aren't enough, I think, for some people where the pilot is supposed to be a good setup, but sometimes that setup's not super dramatically appealing. So they have to, they're doing, a lot of shows are doing that now. Um, it's smart. Do you, th- what do you think this, okay, let's, we'll wrap it up. What do you think the next storyline is going to be? Like comics based, large scale storyline in the Marvel universe. Do you, per- do you think House of M? What do you think? I think it's going to be a mashup of House of M, but you need mutants to actually have House of M. Reverse House of M? it's going to be like a mashup. You can do House of M, but you know. But they could do like a, a reverse one. Of- yeah. Where it's, she at the end says more mutants as opposed to no more mutants. No, comma, more mutants. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but Yeah, so you think House of M matched up with what? Spider-Verse. Interesting. To be honest. I, because why is she involved in Doctor Strange 2? Well, Makes no sense you know, otherwise. What I think we're leading into, and my this suspicion will be proved wrong or right, based off Brute of, force. Based off of if what happens in Spider-Man 3. But... If Spider-Man 3 features um, Osborn in it, you're going to see Dark Rain maybe be the next big thing. I could see it happening. Based on everything else Dark, that's going Dark down. Darkwing, you said? Dark Rain. Yeah, I feel like that could. Dark Rain. Yes. I could see it happening, but it would only happen if they introduced Norman Osborn in Spider-Man 3. So that is like my, yeah. I've said that for like, I don't know, like a couple months now that I feel like Dark Rain could be a good storyline, but they'd have to introduce him in the next movie. So if it's introduced, that's where I'm hedging my bet. If not, then I'm not maybe house of M or some sort of strange amalgamation of it. Um, there, like I said, there's oof. oh so much. And like <laughs> one, before we wrap this one yeah. up fully, I want to also talk about one of the things a lot of people have been talking about with this show. Uh, we have to wait a week. Yeah. I'm sorry, but like that, I love Netflix. But Netflix ruined a whole generation of consumption of entertainment. There's and a benefit to waiting. I, it's, you don't rush through it. Yeah. You rush through it. It's like I guess it's like watching a movie. But when you when you watch it all at once, there's no tension buildup. They've uh, some shows are specifically designed to not be consumed week to week, and they don't have the same cliffhangers that make you think and stuff like that. Those shows have their place. It's called over-the-top production. Over-the-top television is like what the industry term is for it. But there are some shows like the Watchmen TV series or like this, where it is built to be watched week to week. There are cliffhangers. There are rises and falls that are purposefully done in that way. And so I think if this show was done back-to-back like... I mean, we watched the first two episodes back-to-back. As yeah. much as I liked it, it took the wind out of the first episode, having the second one there right after. And the second one, the tension's automatically built, and you say, okay, cool. And you kind of wipe your hands from it. I like the week-to-week. It, it makes me think about stuff. It allows for fan theories, as opposed to, oh, you watched episode one, and you have a thought, well, I just finished the series, and this is actually what happens. It allows for the, the fan base to get invested. That's why they do it that way. And let's be honest, in regards to marketability, in the sense of, and it's a weird thing to say, but memes are a part of marketing now. Yes. And when The Witcher came out on Netflix, there was the repeated meme of uh, Geralt, I believe, right? Just going, ugh, fuck. Like, <laughs> over and over, that was the meme. Over and over. And I forgot that was a meme. That's that was funny. a meme yeah. from one year ago. Do you remember Tiger King memes? Yes, they all have their day in the sun. And they all, but look now at The Mandalorian, week by week schedule. We still got Grogu. We Mm -hmm. still got Baby Yoda over and over. Like, 
the character is still around and in the sense of the meme, you know, pop culture subconscious. And it's like they beat it into your head weekly. Yeah, they definitely do. And like I loved Cobra Kai. That was one I never binge watch shows. I binge watched season three in a day. My friends, I've never done my that. friends, old roommates in that show. I can't remember which kit, which character he is, but he's uh, my my one of my good friends lived with a guy who's one of the actors in the show. Friend of mine also uh, he lived with uh, what's his name briefly the one from did you did you see season one and two no uh, do you know the movie Richard Jewell yes yes the, it's newer, my friend right? used to live with the main actor from that movie oh cool that's funny buddy of mine uh, comedian Sean Carlucci so Sean gets shout a out, uh, shout Sean. out right now but wow it's that just was, wild yeah, that good ride but but it's like I said you know I loved Cobra Kai. But the problem is that's going to be one of those shows we have to wait an entire year now for the next season and the discussion of it is going to fade away and disappear. And it's like it's already at that point everyone forgot about Cobra Kai and we're on to the next thing. What is the next big Netflix event? We're hungry. Yeah. And like I will admit, though, I've never seen Karate Kid uh, Part 2, 3, Next Karate Kid or the Jaden Smith one. I just uh, ordered all of them so nice. I can watch them, you know, oh, so I can be able to experience. There's one thing I forgot from the show. What's up? That blew, that upset me. I'm not going to say blew my mind. It's too soon. She says, he says, oh, my wife's flying saucers, which is a funny reference to the way her magic works a lot in the comics and we're even in the show. But then she responds with my husband and his indestructible head, which upset me. Greatly, I posted a meme of that. It upset on the, me. Uh, Facebook page. I, I liked it because it shows right off the bat that she's not living in reality, right? Where it's like she's completely removed. Like he can't die from that. Um, but it was so unsettling to hear. She said it like a joke, but at the same time, her husband was brutally murdered in front of her, and so it was such a. I, that was in my mind, honest to God, top three most unsettling moments of the show so far. For me, it just hit really. Me. It was just because it was so not tense. It was so not. It was not delivered in any sort of upsetting way. But imagine if this it's was gallows real, humor. Ima- yeah, imagine in real life that kind of joke. It's it is definitely gallows humor, but it's clearly not something that's humorous to her, given the way she's reacting. I heard somebody say that it was a sex joke, and I'm just like, no, it's no, not. It's his, his. It's his little fucking head smashed into the dirt before the snap. Clearly. Yeah. But. I don't know. So yeah, stay tuned for next week's episode. We'll be releasing the them. We'll be releasing <laughs> them on Saturday nights on Patreon. If you're not subscribed, Sunday morning you'll be getting, or Sunday uh, in the afternoon you'll be getting the the updates. Pretty much as fast as we can get them out to you after we watch the episodes ourselves. So thanks. Absolutely. So for the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick, and I'm John Sherburn. Excelsior. And flame on. And I don't eat food.